Hey, thanks so much for listening to Sandals Church. Our vision as a church is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey guys, welcome to Sandals Church. I'm so glad you are joining us, man. How many of you guys have been encouraged by this series called The Healer? Amen? Yes. And I wanna talk to you today about one of the areas I think in our society that we need the most healing. And this is in the area of mental illness. So many of us have a family member, we have a friend, some of us have a child that's battling this right now, right here today. We are overwhelmed with this. Our hospitals are overwhelmed. And and I think many of us as Christians are underwhelmed by the difference that Jesus can make when it comes to mental illness. And so my prayer for you today is that you would move, if you are battling, if you're struggling with, with any kind of mental illness, that you would move today and make a commitment and say, Jesus, I'm going to invite you so that I can experience mental health. I want you to move from mental illness to mental health. And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture, that especially if you're new. I know a lot of people at Sandals, you're, you're new to Sandals Church. And if you came to Sandals, this is your first time, I apologize. This is one of the weirdest stories ever. We got a naked guy, uh, an exorcism, um, you know, it's just uh, dead pigs, like, right? You're just like, what is going on? But look, sometimes, man, for things to get better, things got to get ugly. And that's what Jesus wants to do today. Things get a little ugly so that he can bring a little beauty in your life. And so we're going to start in Mark 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And it said, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, here's the problem. There's a bunch of misspellings of this name, um, you know, and nobody really knows where this was. And I think it was in California. Now, why do you think that? Because this dude is crazy and naked, amen? Like, like if you were watching, if you were watching from somewhere else, you're like, man, that's interesting. Jesus wasn't afraid of naked people. Like, if you live in California, crazy and naked, they go together. They go together. Just the other day, I was in Rite Aid. I kid you not. I was in Rite Aid, and I noticed a woman without pants, without underwear, shopping. Like, that's California, right? Like, did you forget something? Was it, was it your ATM card? Was it your ID? It's pants. You forgot your pants. And she was completely unbothered. And my wife's like, I can't believe you noticed. I said, look, <laughs> look, I don't know. I don't know what you want from me. But if there's a naked woman in Rite Aid, I gotta look. I mean, that's just the problem, right? I just like, that is strange. And what's interesting in California is nobody did anything about it. They're just like, yeah, it's Tuesday, right? <laughs> So we got a crazy naked guy and Jesus gets out of the boat. Amen, this is all of our worst fears. When you see a crazy person, what do you try to do? Don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. Then what do they do? They make eye contact, they come right at you. And here's the thing is Jesus is not intimidated. He doesn't do what you do, roll up your windows. Don't look kids, don't look kids. You know, I don't want my windows washed or whatever it is. (laughs) Jesus goes right at him. He's not afraid, he's not afraid. So immediately he met there a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. With an unclean spirit. That's the thing I want you to see is, the translators of the Bible could have said demonic spirit, but they didn't. They just said unclean. One of the things we need to do in the church is we need to take shame away from mental illness. I just want you to see here, the authors don't say he had a demonic spirit, which that's what it was. He just says it was unclean. What this guy needs is a bath. That's it. That's all he needs. And he needs some Jesus, amen? So he lived amongst the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. We take such pride in how how modern we are and how scientific we are. Look, we aren't any better dealing with mental illness today than they were 2000 years ago. 
2,000 years ago, they just sent you to the cemetery. Now we just say, you know, you get a shopping cart, right? That's, that's all you get. And, and, and in the name of compassion, we really have, have not done anything compassionate for, for so many of these people who are battling and losing their battle. They couldn't even bind him with a chain, right? They had tried things. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he would wrench the chains apart. This guy's strong. This guy's powerful. Like, think about that. Like, I get nervous when a homeless lady comes up to talk to me. I'm like, whoa, this guy's buff enough to rip chains. And Jesus is not intimidated. Listen, he broke the shackles in pieces. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day amongst the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. There's an epidemic of cutting going on, especially amongst our young people. And we need to begin asking Jesus for healing because we don't always help them. We just sent them to a hospital for 10 minutes and a prescription. That doesn't help a lot of young people. And we're gonna to talk today about how Jesus can help you, specifically if you're struggling hurting yourself. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell before him, crying out with a loud voice, right? This is what crazy does. Crazy doesn't understand tone, amen? It doesn't understand tone. You can't say, get quiet. I need you to bring that down because they're gonna bring it up. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? Isn't it interesting that mental illness and religion seem to go so closely together? This is why so many scientists believe that religion is made up because crazy people have such, uh, just such a, a focus on religion and God. One of the things I think we need to think about is, is sometimes mental illness doesn't break things, but it opens things that maybe you and I have intentionally closed since we were children. But what does he do? He's talking about God. He's talking to God. Son of the most high, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, think about this. As this crazy guy, naked guy, strong guy is running at Jesus, Jesus is saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't judge the man, he's judging the evil spirit? And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And this may be the most misunderstood verse for the last 2,000 years in Christian, in Christian history. And I want to talk to you about why I think his name is Legion. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out, in, in, out of the country. Don't send me out, Lord. And now there was a great herd of pigs. They were feeding there on the hillside. And then they begged him, who? The demons, the legions send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000. Think about all these issues this guy has, that he has enough problems that they can go into 2000 pigs. And they rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned. And when you read commentaries, this is the thing that breaks my heart. So many people today have a problem with Jesus being cruel to pigs. And you know why that is? Because we've lost the value of human life. Some of you care more about your pets than you do about a homeless person on the street who has not been cared for by our culture. They've not been ministered to. They've not been seen. They've not been loved. 
Isn't that interesting? This is what the commentaries talk about. And they, 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 they have to soften Jesus. Well, you know, he didn't kill the pigs and he didn't. He allowed the demons to go into the pigs. The demons killed the pigs. That's what Satan does. Satan kills and destroys. Jesus came that you may have life. And I want you to notice, Jesus didn't send them. He gave them permission. Yep, go ahead. Go ahead. And here's why. Jesus's primary concern was the deliverance of this man. Now we find out there's, there's people watching. This isn't just like Jesus and this crazy guy. It's Jesus, this crazy guy, and people watching, herdsmen. What are they doing? They're watching over the pigs. And they fled. Like they fled. They're freaked out. Man, isn't that interesting, our response when we, when we feel worried? They weren't drawn to Jesus. Man, the other day, I, I, Tammy and I were out for a walk. We got attacked by a dog. Has that ever happened? Anybody? We got attacked by a dog. So a dog came at me, and I'm not afraid of dogs. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll win. I'll win. It's not going to be pretty. You're not going to be proud of me. Just pray nobody films it. But I, this dog squared me up, and I squared this dog up, and I was just like, bring it, buddy. Bring it. This is, this is, you just, you just, you're going to bite the wrong dude. And so the owner came running out, grabbed their dog, took it away. And I'm looking for my wife. She's gone, man, gone. Phew. She's like, I can get another husband. I'm out of here. Boom. I was like, you ran from me? She's like, what was I supposed to do? I'm like, not abandon me. Like if I would have done that, we'd be in counseling. Amen, guys? What happened? He just ran from me. Pray for us, right? But the herdsmen fled. Isn't it interesting? They're afraid of the power of Jesus. They fled and they told the city. They went into the city, they told them in all the country. And the people came to see what it was that happened. Why are we doing this series on healing? So that people will come back to church because they're hearing that things are happening. You see, people no longer care that Jesus is a savior but they will care if they discover that Jesus is a healer. This week I was working out at the gym and I was literally sitting on a, on a bench and this woman ran and slid at my feet, slid at my feet sobbing. She couldn't control her emotion. And she said, my mother's diagnosed with cancer. And she said, the moment I saw you, I knew that you would pray for my mom. You see, when we need healing, we're desperate, aren't we? When we need a miracle, man, we don't care who sees. She cried in front of everybody. She slid at her knees, on her knees in front of her friends. And she asked for prayer right there in a gym. Because when we need healing, we're, des we're desperate. And people may not be desperate for their souls, but they are desperate for a miracle when their mom's dying, their dad's dying, they're dying. Something's happened. And here's the thing, Jesus came to do both, save your soul and heal you. He is both savior and healer. And when they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had legion, remember him? Isn't it interesting, past tense, who had? Sitting there, how'd you know he was naked, pastor? Clothed and in his right mind. Listen to the response, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him, he begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him. He said, no, listen to this, but go home to your friends. And I'm gonna talk about why. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away, listen to this. And he began to proclaim to the Diocopolis, sorry, Greek word meaning 10, 10 cities. He didn't just go to a city, he went to 10 cities. How much Jesus had done for him. And listen to this last statement. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. That's what Jesus can do. Jesus heals mental illness, number one, by not being afraid to deal with it. So many of us were embarrassed, were ashamed, especially those of us who are Christians and we're battling anxiety or depression. We wanna pretend that prayer's enough. We wanna pretend that our Bible study's enough. And unfortunately, when you come to church every week and you put on a mask, you're actually making yourself more of a prisoner. Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is not afraid of the truth and he will meet you in the truth and he will meet you in your struggle. He will meet you. Man, it breaks my heart that even pastors and pastor's wives struggle with mental illness. I was reading about one of my favorite pastors as a kid. Favorite pastors, man, this guy blessed me. This guy wrote books that challenged me, that changed me, that ministered to me. I found out his wife battled mental illness their entire marriage. They never told anyone about it. And ultimately they got divorced. It almost derailed his entire career. And ultimately it stained his legacy because nobody knew how to say, as a pastor, my wife is struggling with a mental illness. Some of you are battling a mental illness. Some of you love someone that is battling a mental illness. And let me just say this, mental illness does not go away. It does not get better with time, right? That's kind of our philosophy. It almost always gets worse. And for most of us, for many of us, we self-medicate. Some of us, it just starts off with something fun, something to distract us, but then it moves to drugs and then to alcohol. Someone asked me recently, why don't you drink more, Pastor? I said, I have a hard enough time being sane. <laughs> I don't need to spice this up, okay? And some of you young moms, man, I love you, but you got kids under four. You have no idea how close to hell you are, amen? You're like, mommy needs a glass of wine. Look, mommy may need counseling because wine isn't gonna help. It's just gonna numb it. It's just gonna numb it. And you know what your kids need? Not mommy with a glass of wine. They need mommy full of the spirit. That's what they need. And so as Christians, we need to not be afraid to talk about it, right? Some of you ladies, you're on Instagram. Oh, this woman's perfect. She does it all right. It's all fake. None of it's real. None of it's real. And some of us, man, we're, we're in love with what's false rather than facing what's, what is facts. Man, I was having lunch a couple of years ago with one of the wealthiest men I've ever met. I met this guy because after the 08 crash, man, I, I saw good Christian people lose everything. This guy didn't. And I wanted to know why. Man, here's the thing, find wise people and learn from them. And so I met with him and at first he wouldn't meet with me because you know, he, he knows I'm a pastor, so he thought I wanted money. And I assured him, I want no money, you know, which wasn't entirely true, but I wasn't gonna ask, <laughs> I wasn't gonna ask for money. 
And I, and I didn't, and he didn't give it. Okay. But I wanted to know how he made it. And he began to share his testimony. Here's what he said. He said, Matt, he said, I've been successful at everything in my life but relationships. And that's where many of us are. We're successful professionally. We're terrible personally. He said, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to handle it. I had a bad relationship with my kids, a terrible relationship with my wife. I fell out of you know, faith with my family. And so eventually, instead of dealing with it, he said, I turned to alcohol. And then after alcohol wasn't enough, he said, I turned to meth. This guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He told me he got so addicted to meth, he said, I would have sold my own mother to the devil for meth. His family was wealthy, so they did an intervention. They kidnapped him. That's what you do when you're rich. You just kidnap a relative. And they took him to a country where you can force people to go through rehab. It's one of the laws we need to change in America. Okay, you don't need to be in charge of your decisions if you're not in charge of your mind. And six months they left him in this rehab facility in another country. He said he hated his family for it. He said he was certain every day he woke up that it was their problem. He said it took him six months for him to consider, maybe I'm the problem. He said that was the day he decided to be honest and embrace healing. But it started with him. It started by saying, I think I have a problem. I think I have a problem. Jesus is not afraid of your problem. But he will not allow you to heal until you get real. And some of you, here's the truth. You're more concerned with what I think about you than you are your own mental healing and well-being. Isn't that crazy? We're more concerned with the image of health than we are with authentic health, real healing. So what did Jesus do? He's not afraid. He's not afraid. This is a problem. And that's how your healing starts today. You come forward at the end for prayer. Our church can pray over you. Our church can help you identify a counselor. Our church can help you identify someone in soul care to come alongside you, to pray with you, to begin your journey of healing. But we can't help you if you're not real. Man, I would just encourage so many of you today, man, make the move. Even if you're watching online, just say, I need help because we care about you and we love you. And Jesus loves you. And whatever it is that you're battling, Jesus is bigger and he's better and he can handle it. Next, we have to identify the specific problem. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? Many people think Jesus is the great answer giver. Can I rattle you for a second? He's actually the great question asker. When you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he asks almost a hundred question, questions for every answer he gives. Maybe instead of looking for the best answer as Christians, we need to learn to ask the best questions. The best questions. My wife and I, uh, we're uh, empty nesters. Um, some of you are like, oh Lord, the day, right? Well, we're there and some of it's good, but some of it's, you know, it's changing and we're having to change. And so we're going to counseling together to try to figure out, you know, how do we continue to grow in our relationship? And so this week we went to counseling and the therapist gave me 10 questions to ask my wife. And I was like, this is silly. I'm a, I'm a professional question asker. <laughs> you know, 
I wrote a book on the Enneagram, you know. I don't, I don't see it on your shelf, right? So I, there's 10 questions. At question two, I'm like, I am, ter- I am terrible. Like, I'm terrible. I'm panicking. Like, I can't even ask my wife a question, right? Like, we've been married 26 years, and I'm just, I'm just struggling. And I realize I am not nearly as good as I think I am about asking questions. You need to ask this question, what is going on? What's happening? You see, after getting out of rehab, my friend went to counseling and he was later diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. Listen to what he told me. He said, I knew something was wrong for years. He said, but as a man of power and prestige, he said, I was afraid. I was afraid. But he said this, identifying his specific problem was the path to his complete healing in his relationship with God, in his relationship with himself, his wife, they're still married, and his kids. Listen to me, my friend didn't just have a drug problem. He was losing his battle with mental illness and he was self-medicating. Do you know that there are over 300 mental disorders listed on a thing called the DSM-5? It's a diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. It's a handbook used by professionals to help figure out what's wrong with us. They look at us like, I don't know, I need a manual. And some are like, well, what are some of these disorders? Well, let me give you some of the most popular, right? Some are like, I have them all. (laughs) Number one, depression, depression disorder, bipolar disorder, and other mood disorders. Some are like, I think my spouse has that last one. (laughs) Bad mood, eating disorders, personality disorders, post-traumatic stress disorders. If you didn't have that two years ago, you have it now. Thank you, Putin. Amen, anybody else stressed out? Psychotic disorders, including schizophrenia. Do you wanna know what the number one disorder today in America is? Anxiety disorders, including panic disorders and obsessive compulsive disorders, which really is the result of if you don't do something, something bad will happen and other phobias. You've got to learn to name it. As somebody who has struggled with anxiety, I can tell you one of the things that I do, and I hear this all the time from people who battle anxiety, I say, what makes you anxious? And here's what they almost always say, I don't know. You need to learn to ask the right questions. About a week ago, I was really struggling with anxiety and, and, and my anxiety ebbs and flows. And typically, right, it, it, it increases when something stressful is coming up. And so for me, that's the, the, the routine of preaching every week, right? You know, it's like, I hope this goes away. The Lord's like, it's not, it's coming next week. It's coming next week. And so it was Saturday morning and I woke up and I could just tell, you know, you wake up and you're just off. Your family's like, oh, you know. And so I went into the specific room that Tammy and I have in our house. We have a heater in there. I turned the heater on, turned the lights off. I laid down and I just began to speak out loud. What am I anxious about? And I spoke it. That's the week that Putin invaded Ukraine. Lord, I'm anxious about that. Why? I can't control that. That could ruin my life. It could take my life. Tammy and I had had a disagreement that that morning. I said, Lord, we, we had a tough conversation and it didn't go right. Here's the good news about that. I could go make that right. I can't make Putin right. 
Then anybody got stocks? Thank you, Putin, right? My, my future finances just went in the toilet. So I was worried about that. How am I gonna take care, how, how am I gonna take care of my wife as we retire? And then I listed about four other things and I went, oh, this is why I'm anxious. But I had to speak them. And then here's what I did. I invited the Lord Jesus into every one of those situations. I was glad to give Jesus Putin, amen? I was like, you can have him. You can have him. So I have to identify the problem. I have to identify the problem. Jesus identified, listen to me, and named the problem. The name was Legion. Now, let me tell you why this is important. You have to identify the right problem so that you can identify the correct solution. You cannot give the devil a Xanax. You can't give him Zoloft and expect things to get better. I believe you should expect things will get worse. Now, if you're a medical uh, healthcare professional, you work with people that have psychiatric problems. I just want you to think with me for a second. Listen to me, we have better biological treatments for mental illness than we have ever had in history. But mental illness is worse than it has ever been in history. Maybe it's because mental illness is not always merely mental or biological. Sometimes the problem is spiritual. Sometimes. Next, how does Jesus bring healing to my mental illness? He reveals the complexity of my illness. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Listen, the demon replied, my name is Legion. Listen to these words, for we are many. You see, most mental illness does not have a single cause, but many causes. And that's why I believe Legion's name is literally given. Not just because the man has many demons, but because the man has a lot of issues. You see, here's the reason the church and the healthcare system has been so ineffective at helping people. We think it's an issue. It's a issue. Because we fail to see all of the contributors to mental illness. So doctors, and I love you, and I appreciate you, you are trained to think biologically. If we can get their chemistry right, it's gonna change. It's going to help them. And so we give people pills. And oftentimes when we give people pills, it makes things worse or it doesn't make things any better. And people get very dissatisfied and they lose hope. And they say, I can't change because the medicine doesn't work on me. And then in the church, we make people feel bad because they need medicine. And we say, you should just pray and read your Bible. And we are just as evil as the medical and healthcare system. We can't think spiritually only and we can't think biologically only. We have to recognize that we're all failing. We're all failing. And I think that there are four main contributors to mental illness, four. And I'm gonna give them to you. Social, spiritual, psychological, and biological. And we as a church must enter into all four of these realms to bring healing. Number one, social. Number one, social. He lived among the tombs. His own mama didn't want him. He was socially isolated and separated from others. He was abandoned by his culture, his community, and his system. What happens when your little sweet babies you've raised, you've loved, 
They go into junior high school. Here's what happened, parents. You were their support system. You were all they needed. And then when they become teenagers, they need something else. They need their peers and their peers are horrible. You're fat, you're ugly, you're gross, you have the wrong skin color, you have zits. This is the world that they live in. And so the world says you're not pretty, you're not smart, you're not tall, you're not athletic, you're not this, you're not that, you're not this, right? And all of a sudden your little sweet baby starts to hate herself, starts to say, I'm not pretty. Or he says, I'm not strong, I'm not athletic. And they start to beat themselves up. And we run to a psychiatrist or we run to a church. Listen to me, the problem is social. They are being raised with wolves. Listen to me, parents of elementary school children, you need to prepare them for the wolves, especially if you're raising a girl. Female wolves are nasty. They're nasty and you don't always see it coming, but you see the blood. You're like, whoa, what happened? You know, boys were more clumsy, amen? Yeah, you're dumb, right? Girls just slip in, stab you, and then they're out. Okay, so listen to me. It's a social problem. It's a social problem. So parents, here's what I would challenge you. Get multiple social groups for your kids to be in. Here's one of the things that saved me when I was young. I had a church group of friends, I had a school group of friends, and I had a sports group of friends. So at any time, if any one of those groups detonated, I had another group. I had multiple groups of which I could associate with. He lived amongst the tombs. He had no one except who? Jesus. Jesus is the first relationship he has. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't want Jesus to leave. Why? That's the only friend he's ever had. He begged him, please don't leave me. Why? My wife left me. My mom left me. My dad, my community, my family, my children. They all left me. The only people that love me are dead people in these tombs. Even the people that work with pigs won't have anything to do with me. It's a social problem. So let me ask you this question. How do you know if your mental health battle is social? Ask yourself this question. Do I currently have the social support that I need? Am I currently separated from the love and support I need? That's what could be affecting you, impacting you. I don't have a good friend. I'm going through a divorce. My kids are moving out. I've lost a loved one. I feel all alone. A pill cannot change that. Do you understand that? Doctors, do you understand that? A pill cannot fix that. So much of our healthcare system, the reason it's backed up is because we have old people and they go because that's the only conversation they have every week. They're only in there for conversation. It's social. Next, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Can I just ask you a question if you're a healthcare professional, firefighter, police officer, nurse? When's the last time you ever prayed for the people that you interact with? You don't have to get crazy. Jesus! You don't have to do any of that. But before you go to work, Lord, I'm gonna deal with some really sick people today. And Lord, help me to discern 
when it's not biological, but when it's social or spiritual. When's the last time you prayed over somebody you were trying to heal? Because sometimes that's what they need. That's what they need. And listen to me, if you're a healthcare professional, God has placed you or a police officer. Think about that, right? You show up. When, when the marriage has gotten so bad that they had to call you to come. Man, maybe God would use you. Have you guys tried church? Have you tried church? Have you tried God? And sometimes people need that in that moment. And you don't have to force it on them. You can just ask the question. Look, what you guys are, are, are doing isn't working. And if I come back here again and you've hit them, one of you is going to jail or both of you. So instead of jail, let's try church. And somebody's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes it's spiritual. So how do you know if it's spiritual? Ask yourself this question. I feel attacked by something I cannot understand or make sense of. Evil spirits always come with confusion, always. I don't understand what this is. It's how you know when you're in the presence of an evil person. They confuse you. They confuse you. Our God is a God of clarity. The scriptures actually say, our God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That's how you know when you're dealing with an evil person. They confuse you. Lord, I don't know what this is. And, and, and sometimes as Christians, we're a little slow, aren't we? Could this be the devil? Hmm. <laughs> Let me just ask you a question. Why wouldn't the devil attack you? He hates your marriage. He hates your faith. He hates your children. He hates your career. He wants to destroy you. Jesus said he has come to steal and destroy and kill. That is his desire. For years, Tammy and I, we got in our biggest fights. Every year we saved it for Easter. We're not gonna fight this year until thousands of people come to church and are gonna get saved. Okay, go, Rah! right? It's like five years in a row, knockdown, drag out, fight on Easter. I didn't even think she was saved anymore. I'm like, man, you, you hate the risen Jesus. <laughs> and then one day we went, have you noticed? It's every year on Easter. Hmm, I wonder why that could be. Why do you think you fight on the way to church? Why do you think everything goes wrong before you pray? Why do you think your teenager says, I don't want to go to D groups? Because the devil wants to isolate them socially and separate them spiritually from the Lord Jesus and his people. Next, it's psychological. It's psychological. Listen to this. Mark 5, 15, and when they came to Jesus, they saw the demon-possessed man, wait for it, the one who had legion sitting there, listen to this, clothed, amen, in his right mind. He, G Jesus had done something to him psychologically. He had helped him. And here's the thing that you miss. There's a gap in the story between the miracle and this conversation, what is the gap? The herdsmen ran into the city. We don't know exactly, it was two or five miles away, right? They ran into the city, they had to convince people there was a problem, and then they came back. Jesus just did a counseling session with this dude. And here's the thing that you need to know, listen to me, this is the problem with biology, this is the problem with taking a pill. A pill will change your chemistry, it will not change your thought process. 
Think about this, guys. You want to get buff. So I'm going to do steroids, but I'm never going to the gym. <laughs> steroids will increase the opportunity for your muscles to get bigger. What do you still have to do? You still have to work them. The same thing is true with Zoloft. Zoloft may change your chemistry. It may improve your dopamine levels so you feel a little happier, but it's not gonna change your thought process. You have to do that. And that's hard. That's hard. So how do I know if my problem is psychological? Here's the question. Do I, I don't currently have control over mind. I currently don't have the control over my mind that I would like. We all feel this at times, right? For me, this happens right when I put my head on the pillow. I don't know what that is, but it's like, oh, let's worry about everything. My brain saves it for the entire day until I lay down. So what have I had to do? I've had to change the way that I sleep. Tammy and I go through a very specific process every night right before I go to bed. I prayed, I asked God to slow my mind. I prayed, I asked God to stop my heart. God said, why don't we change your behaviors and your patterns? Oh, why would I do that? You could just fix it. <laughs> so I actually had to change the way that I think. So here's the thing. You can have friends. You, you, can, you, can, you can get medicine. Man, you can love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but if you don't change the way you think, you're a mess. You've got to get into a right mind. And that's why oftentimes prayer and counseling are essential to change. And don't be afraid of it. I tell my kids all the time, I've been to counseling my entire life and they ask why. I said, because I think I'm worth it. I think I'm worth it. I mean, you, you invest clothes so you're not naked and weird, amen? Why wouldn't you invest in your mind? And say, so, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go talk to somebody to help me think. Because here's the problem. Some of you, you keep having drama with people. You keep wrecking relationships and you don't know why. It's something you're doing. I've been fired 11 times. Wonder why? Maybe it's you. And you can go and unpack that and figure that out. And that's what Tammy and I are doing. Let's talk through this. Let's talk through this together with a referee. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> And it's great. He's not our friend. We just pay him. That's the only reason he's there. I don't care what he thinks. We can leave. We can stop coming at any time. It's fantastic. You see, when you ask your friends for advice, man, they're not always honest because there could be, you know, some problems. I mean, even your own mama doesn't want to be honest with you because, you know, she wants you to come over. <laughs> Next, biological. Biological. Now, in the ancient world, they don't have a category. There's not a category in their world for a chemical imbalance. So everything is spiritual. And that's what I think we're guilty of today. Well, it's all spiritual. Well, sometimes it's biological. And sometimes we judge people. And let me say this. Your chemistry is not your character. And for some of you guys, I, I, we got to stop the shame. We got to stop the guilt. Look, I need glasses. You know why I need them? To see. Some of you guys have a chemical imbalance and you need some chemicals so you can think straight. And it's not your fault and you've prayed about it. You, you've been to counseling. You got friends. But man, you just can't fix it on your own. And you gotta think it like glasses. And parents, there needs to be no shame 
If your kids need something, you would not feel ashamed if they need glasses. You know what? I want you to pray about reading. You just pray and God's going to let you see. Okay, Dad. Okay. Why would we do that? But that's what we do to our kids. We do our kids, you know? You know, your kid's swinging from the ceiling. You think your kid has ADD? I don't know. We've been praying about it, you know? I mean, I know he has it. I see. I see. He's been up there for eight hours. Maybe we need to slow something down, right? Ask yourself this question. Do I ha- could I have a chemical imbalance, listen to this, that affects how I feel, think, and act? And it's okay, there's no shame in that. You've got to think about Zoloft or Xanax, just like chemotherapy. When you find out you have cancer, you have to pray about, God, do I need, do I need to take this medicine? Does this medicine increase my chances of healing? But it has to be all four. All four. Our our, our hospitals treat one, biology, that's it. The church, we treat one, spiritual. It's all four. Social, spiritual, psycho, and biological. We gotta treat all four. Number four, Jesus offers complete healing with one command. One command. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the second is equal to it. Love your neighbor as you love what? Yourself. Do you know what the key to mental health is? Love. It's love. And we have to learn to love ourselves. What did Jesus do to the man who was naked in the tombs? He loved him when no one else would. When no one else would. Listen to what Jesus says. On these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. Everything is hanging on this. So how do I change my feelings? When I learn to love God with my heart. How do I change that? I have to learn to love him. How do I change my mind, my thoughts? I have to learn to love God with my mind. How do I rid myself from demonic attack? I love the Lord with my soul. Think about this. How does God heal me socially? You know why we all feel socially isolated and alone? Because we're looking at everyone else and we say she's prettier, he's taller, they're smarter, and I'm smaller. This is how God changes us. We take the attention and focus off what's wrong with us and we start serving and loving others. Do you know what they do for children who battle severe mental illness? They learn to care for animals. It does two things. It takes the attention off them and it gives them purpose. Start serving Jesus at church. Do you know why? It takes the attention off you and it gives you purpose. You see, when you serve at Sandals Church, you can't skip. Do you know why? We need you. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. We need you. You have a purpose here. It's no longer a movie. It's no longer a show. You have a purpose. And your purpose is to love others with the love of Jesus. But lastly, you have to learn to love yourself. You see, this man thought he was hopeless and worthless. He had been abandoned by his friends, his family, and his community. What changed him? What changed him? 
Jesus taught him he was worthy of love. A good friend of mine named Kyle. Kyle is one of the best looking men in my life. He is way better looking than me. Like whenever we're together, I'm always like, just, just like keep some healthy distance. That way it's not obvious how much better looking he is than me. And as we got to know each other, I found out he lived in LA for 10 years. And I was like, so where'd you live? So he started telling me and I was like, wow, you moved a lot, you know, cause I'm a question asker, remember? And he got real quiet and he got real awkward. And remember, he's really good looking. He's got great teeth. And, um, and I said, man, you moved a lot in LA. Why'd you do that? And he says, well, I was a meth addict for 10 years and I was homeless in LA. I was like, but you have great teeth. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, your teeth are amazing. You know, I, sometimes I don't always just think it. I just say it. I'm working on that. He was homeless in LA for 10 years. I said, what changed? What changed you? True story. He went to 7-Eleven to buy coffee because he's on meth. He said, instead of adding 10% creamer and 90% coffee, I'm gonna put 90% creamer and 10% coffee in it. That's what happens when you're on meth. You have weird ideas. I mean, not that I know, but it's what I've heard. <laughs> so he puts 90% creamer in his coffee and he goes outside on his bike that he stole, right? Because that's what you do. Um, and he gets hit by a car, throws the, the, the 64 ounce coffee cup out in front of him. The creamer lands on the sidewalk. He lands on it, slides and survives. And he said, and that's when I knew there was a God and he loved me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Who puts 90% creamer in a coffee? He did, he did. And then his parents got a hold of him through a private detective. And they said, your father is at such and such hotel and he will stay there until you're ready to change. And so he went and I said, what changed, what changed? And Kyle told me, he said, the love of Jesus. He said, Jesus taught me that I was worthy of love. Let me tell you something, you are worthy of love. And so what that means is you can do the work. You can do the work to create a social network of people that really love you. You can do the work to learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can do the work to go to counseling and reshape the beautiful mind that God has given you. Look, I don't know what the battle in your mind is, but listen to me, I know this, we can all get better. I don't know how much better, but we can all get better. And then lastly, some of us, we have a chemistry problem and it's not your character. Don't be afraid to use modern medicine if it helps, if it helps. We have to end the shame and we have to invite God into this process. So what I wanna do right now is I just wanna close in prayer. I wanna pray for two groups of us. One of us, we're battling some kind of mental illness today. It could be depression, it could be anxiety, it could be something super serious. And I wanna invite you to come forward for prayer but I think there's a much bigger group today. You have a kid. You have a sister, a brother, a friend, and they're not here today, but they need prayer. And here's what you need to do. You need to come forward and pray for them. And wherever they are today, whatever tomb they're in today, we need to ask Jesus to meet them right where they are, to bring them back and to save them and put them in their right mind, amen? We can have and we can make a difference in the lives of people who are battling mental health. But we have to end the shame and we have to just say, look, God sees you and he's not afraid of the truth. So let's close by praying together. And so in just a minute, if you need prayer, I wanna encourage you to come forward. Uh, if you're watching online, 
make sure that you type it in right now in the chat room and just say, I need prayer. I need prayer. I was just talking with uh, one of our pastors who has a brother that struggles with mental illness. And I said, I just reached out to him. I said, one of the hardest things in ministry is when you see God doing all these amazing things outside of your family that you wish you would see him do inside your family. And so that's what we wanna do today. We wanna invite Jesus to minister inside our family today. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, I ask that whatever's going on, some of us, we got a nagging feeling, we're battling with depression, God, our anxiety's gotten out of control. Lord, we know something's wrong, but we, we've, been, we've been ashamed. Some of us know our, our marriage is on the rocks and we're, we're, we're more afraid of telling somebody we need help than we are of divorce. God, humble us today and just let us come forward and say, we need help. Let's get rid of the stigma. Let's stop pretending that we're all perfect, that we don't have issues. And let's invite Jesus into the darkest, hardest places of our lives. And God, some of us need to come forward and we need to pray for a loved one, a son or a daughter, battling drug addiction, homelessness. God, they're so far from you. And the truth is we've lost hope. God, I pray today that we would come forward and we would pray and we would find our hope once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.